Welcome to the Chocolate Cake Bites podcast. This is a podcast where we will discuss the sweet nuggets of goodness that come from living the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Ken Williams. The opinions, attitudes, thoughts, and ideas that we discuss are those of the hosts and guests and are not necessarily a reflection of the actual doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's conversation. This week's conversation I'm a little bit concerned about because I have... Um, back with us, we have our favorite co-host and our other favorite co-host <laughs> who are being careful to not identify themselves yet. Uh, we have Allison and Annette. <laughs> Don't say it like that. <laughs> uh, that's how I usually say Mark. We, we, we have yeah. Mark. We have Mark. Whatever. So, back by popular bland, but uh, popular demand, mostly by me. <laughs> we have Annette, and because Allison came over for dinner, uh, we have Allison. <laughs> they were both super excited about talking to each other, and I think I'm just going to be the uh, the third wheel. I don't know. We text way better than we talk. <laughs> uh, you and me, or you and Allison? Me and Allison. Okay. We'll just text during the, the conversation. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm going to have to figure out a way to intercept those texts. So what are we going to talk about today? <laughs> loving everyone. Loving everyone. Just My favorite love topic. People. Just love people. Well, we, we were talking a couple weeks ago about the Liz Wiseman forum address. And since then, you've listened to it, right, Annette? And she's much more, um, I don't know what, what, what word to use, but you paid attention enough to, that you took notes and highlighted things. And I just listened <laughs> to, the, to the video because Marcina told me that I should listen to it. And I did. And it was, it was fantastic. It was very but, good. Um, some of the questions, I do like the blue hair. <laughs> I'm seeing it now. So Annette has dyed it's her hair blue, blue, for a long time. blue and purple. Yeah. To con- contrast with Allison's hot pink. Heck yeah. She looks perfectly normal from the front. I can't find it. <laughs> That's right there. So I, I still have the, on my mind talking about missions. And so um, maybe we can talk about missions and I think there's a, there are just a lot of things that I want to see if I can put together in, into a something that makes sense. Um, missions. There's a podcast that you sent me, Annette, that um, talked about missions, missionary service. Was there something that prompted that, or was it just something you stumbled across and you thought it was? Um, just stumbled across it, okay. and... Um... I have some of my own thoughts and feelings about missions and have watched a couple of kids open mission calls to places they weren't excited about. When Uh my own son opened his mission call, he went stateside and um, I was kind of shocked at how many people asked me if I was disappointed or that he was disappointed because he wasn't going for him. And neither of us were. Mm -hmm. 
And, but it was interesting to me that that question was even asked. It was just something that I think about, you know, just having to do with culture and. So why is that well, something, why is that a thing? Why, why have we, we made foreign missions more valuable than not foreign missions? So I think the hierarchy, the way that I think I've seen it is you got foreign, uh, foreign country, foreign language. Then you have foreign country, same language. Then you have same country, foreign language. Then you have same country, same language. And then you have service missions. Yeah. And, and I think and, that's and exactly with, with service missions, let's throw in other things like Caitlin, your daughter served a, as a performing, uh, what, what was it called? Performing missionary. missionary. In she was on the um, Nauvoo Brass Band. Was she set apart as a missionary? She was. And she had mission rules? Yeah. Actually, they were. I was, when she was there, I was talking with some of the elders in our ward, and they were actually shocked because her rules were much stricter than the mission rules here in our area. Interesting. What are some things that, that she had to do or not do that was stricter than what um, a um, traditional cross-lighting missionary? P-Day was only like a few hours as opposed to, you know, a half a day or a full day. Okay. Um, they only had very strict 30 minutes for email communication. They couldn't, wow. they just had that much time and that was it. Um, and the, the elders were just shocked, you know, that, that she only had 30 minutes and it was kind of like, yeah, if I didn't catch her email, then she didn't see it for a week, you right. know? And, you know, and then, of course, the, the dress and grooming, right? She had to do her hair in the 1800 styles. Right. And she had to wear in Nauvoo, Illinois. And if you've been to super hot and Illinois, humid, <laughs> super hot and humid in the summer. And they were in authentic clothing. Right. So all the layers, all of the long sleeves down to the, you know, ankles and wrists and high neck. And um, it was funny when she came home after being there first three or three or four months, she had a hard time doing her hair regularly because she was a side parter uh -huh. and she had been parting her hair in the middle with the ringlets and the whole. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, um, and I, I got to go visit Nauvoo while she was on her mission and those missionaries are busy. She was, did you see her at all when she was on in Nauvoo? No. So they were all, they had a schedule that they had to keep. They had, she was, she played multiple instruments. I don't know what all of them were, but um, I know she did. It was French mainly horn. French horn when she was out there. But she, she was involved in, in uh, several different groups and uh, musical groups and things like that, including uh, at all hours. Um, yeah. And busy, 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 busy. And, and, um, her mission was for the summer. It was just the one summer. And mm -hmm. what was the, what was the process that she went through? And I should get her on here one of these days too. get her. She perspective. would love to talk about this. Um, what was her, her process of preparing for that? Getting to the point where she was, um, she considered that cause it's not a standard missionary call. It was a different application process, but then also yeah. um, preparing to be accepted as a performing missionary uh, in Nauvoo. Well, she wanted to serve a mission. She prayed about it and was told the no, she should not. And so then there's all the cultural and emotional things of dealing with that. And she was actually really just devastated because she had, 
she wanted to serve. And I think she came across a flyer um, when she was mm-hmm. at BYU about it. And was kind of like, hey, maybe this is the answer. She was really into music. And um, she had been playing it when she was in high school with the Richmond Symphony Youth Orchestra. Mm-hmm. She was involved in at BYU with a lot of the orchestra. And she was kind of like, maybe I can do both at the same time. And so it's an application. You have to fill out an application saying what that you want to do it and then you know like you could you could go to Nauvoo as a performing missionary and be an actor you could be a singer mm-hmm. you could be in the brass band i think she just applied for the brass band um, but i'm not positive and then there was a i have to ask her i don't remember if there was an audition process i think there was it seems like there was but there was she it, she had to um i think she recorded herself okay. and sent it in I don't think it was an in-person audition and, and then you just waited and then until you got your acceptance letter or rejection Mm -hmm. I know of other kids that have applied and did not get, did not make it. Um, I found out later that on average you have to apply two or three times before you get in. So it was kind of a big deal that she made it that first time. Mm -hmm. And, but we had a lot of people say, there was no point for her to get endowed. They they encouraged all missionaries coming in to be endowed. Right. But she was told locally there was no reason to because it wasn't a real mission. She this is, you mean locally? Her. This is from her leadership at her at the local level. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, that you know she was wearing a pretend name tag then. Yeah, it wasn't a real <laughs> mission because you were only gone for three months or three and a half months, and it wasn't eighteen months and. Um, so there's kind of no point and it was just like, they're just trying to make you feel better. And there was no mission farewell for her. There was no welcome home. Wow. It was kind of, kind of no pomp and circumstance. Um, she did go and get set apart. Okay. I don't remember if it was the bishop or the stake president, but she was set apart as a missionary. She had a name tag. She lived all the mission rules plus some. Right. So some of the mission rules were um, different than what a, a traditional uh, proselyting missionary would have to to live by, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, they did tours. They she played in the band. She talked to you know tourists as they come through. She was kind of kind of did it all when she was out there. And if you've ever been to Nauvoo, it's so fun. It's so fun to see all the things. But everybody who's out there, they're they're all missionaries. Yeah. So, um, I'm I'm trying to not cough at my microphone. <laughs> um. So, uh, what was what was the experience for her? And and actually, as I'm talk about this we're going to see if we can get her on the <laughs> on the call that would be so, be so great so um i have my producer allison <laughs> trying to make contact <laughs> with her so we'll just kind of stall and then we'll just catch her up and we'll just <laughs> roll with that um so if she gets on then then we'll um get her perspective but i want to hear from from your perspective as you heard things like that that this isn't a real mission. And this is from people that were in leadership positions, I'm assuming. What And friends, yeah. And, and friends, friends and family as well. So what does that do for you? What does that do for her 
when when you hear that and and you're not the I've known you for a lot of years. I've known you for your whole life, actually. That's as I think wild because I have not known you your whole life. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. I um, had some rough early years and <laughs> and late years. Thanks, Allison. <laughs> this is why I have Allison <laughs> on. She keeps me humble. You're but uh, um, when when you would hear things like that, um, did you, did you respond? Um, did you say anything to people? Did you just kind of let it go and and uh, with the thought that uh, yeah, that's just them, or they just don't understand? Um, I probably did a little bit of both. I know there were times that I, you know, it is a real mission. She is set apart. She does have to live the rules. And for a lot of people, I think they just didn't know. They okay. just were ignorant to the fact that, that first of all, that the mission even existed, right? They, or that you had to be set apart to be on that mission or, you know, that it was not just, well, and I think it goes back to what you're saying about the hierarchy of missions. Like uh-huh. they, they kind of equated it with a service mission, which for some people means it just doesn't count. And so I, I would, I would absolutely say, no, she did have to get set apart. Oh, she did. Yeah. She was set apart as a missionary. She wears a name tag. Yeah. She's not knocking on doors, but she's probably going to be interacting with more people on her three month mission right. than some missionaries might on a 18-month or two-year mission. Right. And just to be clear, when I talk about the hierarchy of missions, I'm not saying that this is how missions should be ranked. Because... I agree. <laughs> and I, I know that's... I'm glad you clarified that. I was yes. agree. Oh, good. Um, so talk about Josh and, and the experience he had that he had, because he had a, a, a higher-ranked mission that he was Fairly, called to yeah. in, the, in the hierarchy, yes, because it was just one one step above the... The fake, um, fake missions. <laughs> oh my goodness. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> I don't know. You started it. I know I did. So no, but what was your experience with, with, did he have the same, you, I think you were saying, and I can't remember what we were talking about before we recorded and after. So <laughs> did, were you saying that, um, that with Josh, Josh went stateside, he went to Colorado, right? Uh-huh. And so stateside English speaking. So English. A, a step above. This used to be the bottom, sure. and uh, then then the church introduced service missions. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what was your experience, or what was his experience with that? Uh, because you have missionaries that get so excited about their missions, and then they hear questions like what I think a lot of people, like what Caitlin dealt with, what maybe Josh dealt with, and what other people do, deal with. Yeah, he was super excited. He, I don't think he had any hope. If he did, I don't remember him ever expressing a hope or a desire to go foreign or stateside. Okay. I think he was just kind of like, wherever they assign me to go, that's where I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Pretty easy going. And so when, when he opened it and it was said Fort Collins, Colorado, he was super excited mm-hmm. and I don't know how many people asked him. I had several people ask me if if he was disappointed or if I was disappointed that right. he wasn't going for him. And it was so, like, so let's oh. think about what that question really is saying. Are you disappointed that your son is worthy, willing, and prepared to serve a mission wherever the Lord would send him? Are you disappointed in that? So this is, that would have been great if I would have come back with that, like in a loving way. So are you asking me if I'm disappointed? 
I'm, I'm disappointed because I think it should be more worthy and more willing and more prepared to serve wherever. If he had been more worthy, maybe he would have gone for it. No, I'm totally that kidding. Is, yeah. Please edit that out. <laughs> That's too much work. But so when I, when I uh, was, this is years ago, when I was on the high council and our stake was being reorganized, uh, the general authority that came to reorganize our stake was Elder Holland. And so I get this, um, I, there, I'm sure there's a word that will uh, convey the inadequacy that I felt meeting with Elder Holland. And he sat down. Well, he didn't even stand up when I walked in. Uh, I shook his hand. He's got his readers on. He's looking over his glasses. And he said, Brother Williams. <laughs> Elder Holland. He said, he welcomed me, had a seat. And he started out by saying, all we want is to do the Lord's will. Are you willing to do whatever the Lord asks you to do? Well, what am I going to say to Elder Holland? Yes, of course, I'm going to do whatever the Lord says. <laughs> so if the Lord asked me to, to, to serve as a uh, high counselor over the Sunday school program, I'm willing to do that. And if he asked me to serve as something else, that's fine as well. Why is it that we put so much more pressure on our young missionaries to serve in a specific location and make that mean something about them? And do you have an answer, Allison? Allison has answers to everything. She's just sitting here texting. I'm not currently. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know why we do that. I noticed that you married a guy who served a foreign speaking mission. Is, yeah. Was that something in your interview process as you met boys? Uh, I don't know. You're the one who paid him. <laughs> I did not pay him. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. No. Just... Words, Justin. <laughs> Hiding. Should I should I stop Allison from talking about you, Justin? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. All right. We'll, we'll keep talking about you, Allison. Um, no, that wasn't on my list of anything. I wasn't even looking to date anyone. Okay. And that's true. It was forced upon me. <laughs> <laughs> They've got an interesting story. We may have to bring that up one of these days. That. It's all based on lies and deception. And it is. <laughs> that's, that's the best kind of story. So, but going back to what Caitlin experienced, um, if you have a missionary who goes on a traditional proselyting mission and then gets sick or injured and comes home after three months, we tend to treat them badly too, I think, don't we? I think, I hope it's getting better. I, I think, think that's is. one of the, do I dare say positive things that has come out of COVID. I think there's a few things that are really great that have come out of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of them is it's normalized a little bit more. It's something that people are talking about and there's less stigma. Right. Um, I hope that that continues and that we don't go back to having so much stigma around um, missionaries coming home early for whatever reason. Right. So when we I had a, like, go ahead. I'm going to say, I feel like, I think I've said this to you before, but I feel like if you have a missionary who comes home early for any reason, mm -hmm. um, they should be almost celebrated because, and I, I feel like I have to say that cautiously 
because of the, especially if they're coming home for, to deal with an issue, whether it be a health issue or worthiness issue, knowing that you're going to come home into a situation that is riddled with shame and questions and, right. and they they took the, that step of bravery and had the courage to address it. I have a cousin who came home from with medical problems. She needed to have knee surgery. And even that, I mean, people, the things that people said to her and about her mm-hmm. because of this knee problem. And then the shame around her decision to not go back right. was, was terrible. It was, it was unfortunate for her specifically, you know, how it negatively affected her. And so I hope it's, I hope it's going to be something that we can continue to talk about and that the shame and the stigma will lessen. So, um, I may get my nephew Brig on one of these days. He came home during COVID and, uh, he, ante- and, and the mission call says it's anticipated that you'll serve 18 or 24 months. And, uh, that's not always what they end up serving. So the, this is where I think we are, we, we, sh- I don't, I don't know how to say it without sounding super judgy and maybe I should just sound super judgy. You're uh, good at it. You I'm super good at it. it. <laughs> There's some good <laughs> things I'm really good at and being judgy is one of them. The thing that, that has, um, we're naturally curious people. I think not just members of the church, I think people are just naturally curious. And so if you send somebody off on a mission, you're expecting that they're going to be gone for two years or 18 months and they come home in some period of time, less than that. There's a natural curiosity. Why? What happened? What's going on? Why are you home early? And I don't know that you have the answer. I think you have at least a, a, um, and really both of you have a, an answer that you would, um, that you, that you could offer, uh, without necessarily having uh, actual experience. But, um, what, how much, how many of those questions are actually helpful? Why, what happened? What's going on? Why are you home? Um, and Allison's showing a number on her hands. What was that number? I missed that. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. Zero In most questions. cases, none of them are helpful. So we have um, questions that are usually either going to go to the family or they're going to go to the missionary. And I would love to get a missionary on at some point to share his or her perspective. But I suspect that none of those questions are helpful. So I've seen a couple of kids come home early and nobody went to the parents or the missionary. Unfortunately, they just talked about it among themselves in, in the ward unit, which I think is worse. Yeah. You know, when you know everybody's talking about you with a side glance, I don't think they're intending to be unkind. I really don't believe that. No, I don't think so. Um, the first, the first time I knew a a young man well that came home early from his mission Mm -hmm. as an adult, there's a lot of qualifiers there. Um, the, I don't remember who told me, but it was a, maybe it was the bishop or, um, you know, the young man's president. And they said, you know, so-and-so's coming home. And I knew he'd only been out a couple of months. And my first question was, is he Okay. Mm -hmm. 
is this a, is he having a health issue? I don't need to know what it is. Is he okay? Right. And I was like, yeah, he's okay. I'm like, great. And so then when I, and I don't know if this was the right or wrong thing. So that was my biggest concern. Like, are we dealing with a scary, serious health complication? Um, I don't need to know what it is. Like a mm-hmm. simple, you know, like, which I don't even need to know the answer to that. And then it was kind of like when I saw the missionary, it was, you know, it's elder, it's good to see you, you know, which again, I don't even know if that was the right thing because if I, by saying it's good to see you, am I applauding their decision to come home? I don't know what their reasoning was. I still don't know. I, I genuinely, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't, right. it's none of my business. but I think like, what would I want people to do if it was me? I would not want people to avoid me or give me side glances. I'd rather just have somebody come up and say, Hey, it's good to see you. Mm-hmm. So then I could come back with something dorky like, it's good to be seen. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be so great. I love those dorky answers. Yeah. So I think that's a, a, there's a valuable question there to find out what is a good, what's a good thing to say? What's a good thing to to ask? I I, I agree. If we're going to be ranking (laughs) responses in some kind of hierarchy, I think. Rank all the things. (laughs) We're going to change the name of the podcast to the Ranking Podcast by Ken Judgy McJudgerton. Judgy McJudgerton. I'm super good at, at ranking things. Um, I, I think that you're right, that not saying anything too... Well, let me, let me clarify. I think that you're right in that the gossip mill within the ward... Are you just excited that I said you're right? Yeah, I'm just super excited. <laughs> I've said it more than once. I know, but I needed to hear it. Tonight. Are you going to mark this date now? I love yep. it. So now that I have been <laughs> sidetracked, I think the the rumor mill is the wrong answer. I think that's the wrong way to to discuss what's happening, and um, going to the parents. I'm just going to say asking questions may not be the best way to approach it. I think making statements might be a better way to, to handle it, either to the missionary or to the to the family. Statements and maybe... like you are home. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I see you here. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and not there. You are home. It is your birthday. No. <laughs> no, I'm, I, what I mean is is that it might be better to to go to the, the family and just say, if there's anything I can do, please let me know. Or um, I want you to know that I am praying for you or whatever it is. But I think we have this, this deep desire. I don't, I think it's a de- desire that feels like a need to know what's going on and stuff like that. That's none of our business. When, we start asking questions that are none of our business, then we can end up maybe being hurtful. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody has a level of privacy. You know, some people are more private than other people. And um, they had a friend whose son came home from early from his mission. I don't think, I think he came home in less than six months from leaving. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. And um, we were talking with another friend who didn't know that her son had come home early. So I knew this other friend didn't know. And 
Um, the other friend was like, you didn't tell me. And I was like, I, I honestly didn't think about it. Right. I, and I, it's not your news to tell either. And it's not my news to tell. And that's kind of how, you know, mom, mom was really great at, at that. It just like, well, it wasn't my story to, to share. And, and so I've kind of taken that, but, um, it was interesting listening to my friend talk to this other mutual friend about the experience that her son had had on his mission. And there was definitely an undertone of defensive and like mama bear protection, mm-hmm. which was, it was unfortunate because that, that she even felt that way. Yeah. You know, and the friend, the, the mutual friend wasn't asking any inappropriate questions. She was like, is, is everything okay? Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're friends of the family and, and know all the children and, and I was like, yeah. And she wasn't trying to hide anything. It was kind of like, yeah, this is what happened. And da, da, da. And, but there was definitely that undertone of fierce protecting of her son, of mm-hmm. what people might think or say or, or anything. And, and somebody asked the question, um, will he go back out? Do you think he'll go back out? And she said, no. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Which, which I thought, but I feel like she was kind of poised and ready for a fight. Like, no, he's not going back out and I'll fight you if you're Mm going to, you're going to have an opinion about. Because there, there are some situations where it just may not be a a good fit for the missionary to go back out. I had a young man who, um, came home after about a week and, um, didn't go back out. And I, I was over time, I was able to piece together what happened and, and why I was home. But. It was, I, when something like that happens, the family, the missionary are under so much, yeah, it may just be perceived pressure, but there's this, such a culture in the church that, that I don't think we've busted through yet that, um, like what we were talking about earlier with this hierarchy of missions, that if you don't serve your full two years or your full 18 months, then it's not a real mission. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. It could very well have been an honorable release. Sure. And even if it wasn't, an honor, who cares? It's none of your business that we should be applauding the effort because I think President Nelson said it re- most recently, but like the Lord loves effort. Mm-hmm. And it, that doesn't equate to the Lord loves when we're successful and he's embarrassed about us when we're not successful. He just right. wants us to make effort. And maybe... Like, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Drew Young is. Um, I've heard the name. He is, wrote a book called The Meaning of Your Mission. He's written a second Mm -hmm. book. I haven't read it yet, but he went on, got called to, I don't know, Albania or something. I know that's not right, but, and went through the MTC. This is before COVID. And I think if I, I could be in it wrong, but the day his group was leaving the MTC, he went home. Hmm. He's had some mental health issues that needed to, he needed to go home and be resolved. He had an honorable release from his mission. He knew that that was it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he talked about a lot of the things that were helpful and not helpful of what people said. But the thing that I thought of when you were talking is would to help break through the culture, even those boys that came, at least in, in our area, the kids that came home early from their missions because of COVID, mm-hmm. none of them had welcome homes. Wow. None was of that them. because they were there was this hope that 
this is just a temporary glitch in their mission and they're going to go back out. And so it's not really, they're not really home. They're. Well, some of them, like there was a girl that, um, that I know that came home early. She came home for COVID and she was told by her mission president, like we're releasing you coming back. Wasn't an option for her. Mm-hmm. And she, I don't think she had been out a year, maybe nine or 10 months. Wow. And I know of a couple of young men that came home and they were told also that they weren't, they weren't coming back because they only had, you know, you have five months left on your mission or you have three months left on your mission. So we don't know how long this is going to take. You're solid. You're good. But Mm -hmm. I don't, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember any of those kids speaking in church or talking about their mission experiences. And I don't care if you've had one day or 365 days, you're going to have had stories and experiences and moments. Um, So I think it's unfortunate that we don't do any sort of welcome home. And I think that adds to the shame culture around coming home early. That may be true. Uh, that that may be true, and and I think there are also times where it may not be appropriate for somebody to to speak in church if there's a worthiness thing. But but um, if that's uh, not the case, if somebody's been honor, honorably honorably released, then um, I think I land on your side that we should be welcoming these these young missionaries home, and um, I, I don't think we should expect them to to feel like they have to qualify their mission that, well, I it was just a service mission. Or, yeah, I served, but it was only for three and a half months. Or whatever. Because... Yeah, when Caitlin went, there was nothing. It was like, is she going to... I don't... She might have. She'd be able to speak better to that. But I don't remember necessarily that she spoke in church before or after. Mm-hmm. Which Which I think... And I know the church is moving away a little bit from, you know, official farewells or welcome home, but usually they at least have the missionaries speak as they're going out as they come back. And I don't believe she did at all. Mm -hmm. So there may be some, some, um, some things in the, that part of our tradition that kind of reinforces what a, a, in my air quotes, what a real mission is that we, we, honor and respect real missions with a plaque our nephew <laughs> alex had his uh his i arrived home safely talking in church today that we got to watch <laughs> in zoom but um there's the plaque there's the uh that sacramenting talk sometimes there's a homecoming type snacky thing at the um uh, at the house but i think that it's um Yeah, I've I've seen I've seen some missionaries come home for um, reasons other than worthiness. It could be medical, or it could be um, reassignments and that sort of thing. And they're not given that uh, warm welcome. It's just kind of a I don't know if it's is it embarrassing? Is that what our deal is, or, or we just we don't know how to deal with it? I think it's the second one. I think we just don't know how to deal with it. We don't want to, um, one thing that I've heard from leadership a lot is, well, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to acknowledge it really because then we're encouraging other youth to do the same thing or, 
or counting it as an out, right? Like okay. it's an option that shouldn't be an option. And I, I, I personally disagree with that mm-hmm. because there are times when it absolutely is the best option. Right. And maybe accepting the call to serve a mission was what that person needed to do. Right. Maybe that was the effort that, that, the, the, that the Lord loves. needed to do. And the Lord was like, I'm proud of you. Like hey. you did effort. You made it through the MTC. Well, that kind of goes along with what we were talking about. I think before we started recording, we were talking about, um, oh my gosh, what we were talking about. <laughs> All sorts of stuff. <laughs> um, when Peter was walking on the water yes. and we were talking about whether or not he could swim and stuff like that. And because it could change the story, but regardless, like, or irregardless, sorry. Um, (laughs) like even if he didn't get very far, like he, um, he had the faith that he could take what, two steps on the water. I mean, that's more than I've ever walked mm-hmm. on water. So even if it was just those two steps, even if it's just someone accepting a call, a mission call and saying, oh yeah, I'll go. Even if it's just, you know, for that week at the MTC or whatever, like I feel like that's kind of a similar, it doesn't matter that he fell because he took that step. Right. That and, and how much I do we, I could have. how much do we criticize Peter because he started to sink? Oh, I hear a lot, you know, of the criticism of he should have just kept looking at the Lord and like, let's appreciate what he was doing. Right. Right. And and you make a great point, Ken, of what if he didn't know how to swim? Most people now know how to swim, but I don't know what was normal back in what, 30 AD. (laughs) And so we've got this, this culture that we, that I don't understand enough to know whether he was able to swim. It was just, I the way I understand it, it was a stormy night and they see this figure walking across the water. And if he didn't know how to swim, then imagine the faith that it took. Hey, Caitlin came to see us. <laughs> Yay. Caitlin, we're talking about you. Great. I love talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good stuff though. Oh, well, even better. I like it more when it's bad stuff, but. <laughs> oh, well, if it's bad stuff, we're not going to tell you about it. We're just going to tell you it's Fair. good stuff. <laughs> so, um, well, I've got some questions for you. But great, I love questions. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna backtrack. We're recording a podcast episode, and um, we're talking about missions and missionary experiences. <laughs> so I love. Don't I love make the me book. look bad, Caitlin, for the things I said. You said. No, don't no, be like, no, yeah, no. I didn't think that. We're just admiring the book that you have there. It's from. <laughs> it's such it's such a great book. It is. <laughs> so I mean, did Chris try and read it out loud today? Nice. <laughs> um, this one. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Oh, so goodness. Those who are listening can like just this. imagine. <sighs> That's probably the best thing to do. Just You're imagine. welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Highly <laughs> entertaining. So we're talking, we started talking about missions and, and how there seems to be this hierarchy of missions in the culture of the church. 
And I hope that it's changing, but I don't know how much it is. We've got the, the, the celestial mission is the foreign mission, foreign language. And then just below that, you got a foreign mission, same language. And below that, you've got a, a same country, foreign language. And then you've got same country, same language. And then you've got the service missionaries, which is those that are called to serve as service missionaries. And then you were a performing missionary in Nauvoo. Which is kind of the bottom. Right. That's like and that's, you weren't even called for that. You auditioned. So I was asking your mom about um, kind of what the process was. But now that you're here, tell us what the process was. What? How did you find out about it? How did you um, get involved in being a, a uh, performing missionary? And um, what was your experience? Was it was it really a mission, Caitlin? Uh, it absolutely <laughs> was a mission. It, well, it depends on, I, I, I suppose it depends on how you classify a mission. If you classify a mission as serving the Lord, mm-hmm. totally and completely, right. um, in, in the way that you've been guided to understand is right for you, okay. um, then I would say, yeah, absolutely, it was a mission. If you define so, a mission as you're leaving home and you're full-time, you know, you don't have a phone, you email home once a week and, and you're full-time talking about the war, yeah, then it was a mission. But if you define a mission as proselyting 100% of the time, then then no, it wasn't. So did you have any gospel discussions with anybody during your mission? Oh, absolutely. Okay, Every so you, you were not knocking on doors. People were coming to no, you. it's actually illegal in, in the town of Malibu. Probably a good idea. So what kinds of things did you hear from other people about this mission that is so different that you're the only person that I know personally who was a performing missionary in Nauvoo? Like, how did I hear about it? Or? No, what, what kinds of things did people say? As, as people talk, people talk about missions. They talk about, um, they talk to people after they get their mission calls and, and kind of leading up to the mission. Were people supportive? Did they feel like this was really... Um, a unique, wonderful opportunity. Did they feel like it was kind of a um, a pseudo mission? What was what were the, some of the things that you heard? In, I mean, from my experience, people were really supportive and and excited for me, and um, thought that it was a really cool and unique opportunity. Um, I, I mean, I definitely think that so well. One example I can think of is um, missionaries before they go on their mission go through the temple, mm-hmm. their endowment, and for the performing mission in Nauvoo, that's that's not a requirement. Okay, it's optional. It's left up to um, the individual and their bishop. Okay, and I made the decision um, through a lot of prayer, um, which is a another story for another day, but decided that that was something that I wanted to do and felt like was right. What mm-hmm. felt like was right. So I did, I did get to go through the temple um, before I went on that mission, but that specific fact, the fact that it wasn't required, um, I think surprised a lot of people. I had friends and, and some family members that when I told them that, I mean, the reaction was, so it's not like a real mission. It's kind of like mm-hmm. an EF one. I was like, well, no, no, it's, it's not. Um, but, but I, I do, you know, understand that was a, a difference there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I definitely think I had some people who asked me things like, are you going to do a real mission after? Uh, and even in the culture of the, the YPMs, the young performing missionaries that I served with, um, I think that was kind of the attitude among among a good portion of us where it was kind of like, this is a pre-mission experience mm. and you go on your real mission afterwards. Or um, we had missionaries who had served 18 month, 24 month missionaries missions previously. Mm. Uh, and then had done, had, had come to Nauvoo afterwards. Okay. Uh, and sometimes the attitude of that was like, I was, I'm the superior missionary because I did a real mission. I just couldn't get enough of the mission. Uh, now I'm doing this too. So um, that that bumps them up, I guess, in that hierarchy. If they're oh, if they're so righteous that. that they serve two missions. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but but overall, I mean, the experience was really positive, and people were supportive. Um, I will say that I, when I tell people about it, I'm still working on this. I, I do feel like I have to give a disclaimer. Mm -hmm. I tell people that I served a mission. Right. Um, especially because I did get married young. And mm -hmm. so if I say I served a mission, people start doing the math and they're like, you didn't though. There's no way. <laughs> I'm. Which I'm like there. I didn't have time for, for two years, but um, I, I, I'm kind of working through that in my mind. I do kind of feel the need to give a, a precursor or a disclaimer of I served a mission, but it was just a service mission. You know, it was just for four months. And, and I'm trying to kind of take the just out of that statement and mm -hmm. just say for a mission, right. it was for as a service missionary in Nauvoo. So if you served a prophesy mission and then, ended up coming home because of medical needs after four months. Uh, and I'm asking you to, to answer a question that, that you have no way of knowing the answer to, but do you think that that would be something that you would still f feel necessary to, to um, preface your answers with? Um, I, I do. And I say that only because I have some friends who are in similar situations and I've mm -hmm. noticed that they do preface it. Um, right. And not all of them, but some of them do. I, I wonder if I, if I might feel that same way. The interesting thing is like from a logical perspective, like if I genuinely think about it, do I think that coming home early means that it was any left of, less of a mission? No. Mm -hmm. Do I think that a service mission is any less of a mission? No. Mm -hmm. But I think, culturally um there's still some of that belief system in place right i think you're right and i think that that i don't know how do we how we address that because with this hierarchy of missions um i i worry that there's a tendency or not a tendency but a need that's that some of these um missionaries feel that well, I just served a service mission, or I just served in Colorado, or I just served for six months because of COVID. And I don't know that, I don't know that we need to, and I'm, I'm asking, again, I'm asking a question I don't know that we have an answer to. Why is it that, why does it matter? 
why does it matter that you served um, a a non traditional mission? And and does that make your service any less valuable? And I'm just curious, Caitlin. I don't know. Did you have any other uncles that came to visit you on your mission? Other than just, I know you had your favorite uncle come, but my favorite uncle did come to visit me on my mission. <laughs> <laughs> my grandparents came to visit as well. That's fantastic. So, and and they, I'll let them have a little bit higher spot than I do, but well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I and I could tell, and we were saying earlier that you guys were busy. You guys had stuff oh, to wow. do all the time, and uh, it was to me, it looked like this is a true mission because you, you were totally engaged in doing the the work of the Lord. You were, and it was musical, which was beautiful, but it was totally focused on doing his work. And, and it it was musical, but, and I, I do believe that music is a way that we can, that we can praise and that we can worship. Um, but I, I had so many experiences out there that were just genuinely faith affirming and um, where I was brought closer to Christ, where I saw others be brought closer to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, when we, when we first got there, if I remember right, I think we had a week, maybe it was two weeks um, to memorize a whole repertoire of music. And I, I don't really memorize music. That wasn't something I'd ever done before, except for one competition where I practiced for about six months to mm-hmm. memorize a piece. So when I was presented with 20 different pieces and said, you have a week to, to memorize all of this wow. um, on an instrument that you're not familiar with. Um, no pressure. I... I was totally overwhelmed. I did not think that I was going to be able to do it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that I prayed for a lot. And, and as a band, we prayed for strength and we prayed for guidance and we prayed for increased capacity for our memories. Um, and I was stunned because I, I did it, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I did all of the songs. Um, and there were countless times during concerts or during performances when we were marching or, um, just these different times that I, you know, would, the the director would announce the next song and I would not be able to picture what my fingers were supposed to do, but they just did it anyway, you know? And so like, I absolutely had spiritual experiences and, um, and definitely feel like I was blessed from that experience. That's awesome. So when somebody has served a non-traditional mission, whether that's a service mission or a um, any other mission that's not the typical length of time, what are some things that we can say or not say that would um, be uh, that would What are some good questions that we should ask or some questions that we should avoid? Um, this is interesting because I haven't, I haven't thought about this in a while. And so it's good for me to reflect on it. Um, 
when I've had the chance to talk about my mission, I think the questions that I like most are probably similar to what most missionaries like to hear. Questions like, um, what experiences did you have? You know, um, what miracles did you see? Or um, what ways do you feel like you were drawn closer to Christ? Or what challenges did you face? Or how did you see the Lord help you? I think those are the types of questions that, you know, I, I can't speak for all missionaries, but I, I think I think that those are the types of questions that would be appreciated. Um, and then so kind of like talk- pretend that, that you served an actual mission. Yeah, almost <laughs> like that. Like, just fake it really good, you know? Yeah, exactly. And to be clear, I have... I have no doubt that what you did was serve a real mission. I'm not saying that there's any hierarchy or anything, anything other like that. I'm just. <laughs> I do that hierarchy. It's a pretend hierarchy, mm-hmm. but I think it exists even yeah. in its pretend. It's not doctrinal at all, but it's, yeah. yeah, I think that, that there's, cause Annette, I can't remember if we were recording or not, but um, we were talking about, we have great conversations with, and then we are not recording. So, but, <laughs> As parents, we get questions like, well, are, are, are you okay? Are you okay that Caitlin's not serving a real mission? Are you okay that Josh is going to the United States instead of going to some um, super exciting foreign country? And um, I don't For the record, I, I would answer, yeah, I am so excited to be stateside because it's going to be so cheap for me to mail him back. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, I never thought about that before. I'm and like, he'll actually get his packages. <laughs> he'll get his packages. I'm like, my brothers, they, I don't know. My mom had to start lettering them and numbering them because they never knew what they were going to get. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and it, the the length of time, it took months to get something to, from San Jose to Portugal. And I don't know if Greg ever got anything in Argentina. Yeah, but Mark was in Minnesota. 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 And... I could send him in and out wrappers. <laughs> That's so great. And he'd get them in one or two days. It was perfect. That's so great. <laughs> and Scott was in Romania. Who knows what he got as well. But um, no, I think this has been a, a fun conversation. One of the things that, and we may get you on again, Caitlin, where we can talk a little bit more about what is a um, a, a good way to to have a conversation with, with somebody who's serving a non-traditional mission uh, because they're becoming more common. It's, it seems to me, we have. there's a kid in our stake that just opened his mission call yesterday, had a friends and family on Zoom and Facebook Live, and he got uh, his call was to a service mission. Super excited. Family is super excited, and I think it's wonderful. We've got a kid in our ward that um, was uh, assigned to a, a traditional proselyting mission, and then he came home after some period of time and was reassigned as a service missionary. And uh, one of the earlier podcast episodes that that we have is um, uh, Whitney Durchie, who was assigned as a uh, service missionary, and and because of the stigma, it was hard. It was hard for her. It was not exactly what she expected, and it wasn't what she thought she needed, and and um, she struggled with it for a long time. But but the experience that she's had has been so great, and so I like the idea of continuing to at least raise the conversation. That we've got these um, these young men and young women that are trying to do the right thing, and then 
we just sometimes as the uh, the adults in their lives, and not just adults, but sometimes as the adults in their lives, we make these little comments that undermine their desires and their efforts and, and tend to um, suggest that maybe it's, yeah, if you were more righteous or if you were more, if you took care of your mental health better or whatever, you'd be able to serve a, a real mission. And that's just, it's, I love what you said, Caitlin, that it's, if you ask if I served a real mission, did I see miracles? Yes. Did I uh, commit 100, 100% of my time to the Lord for a period of time? Yes. And and that, I think, is what it is. I think that's what a mission is. And putting yourself in that situation, um, preparing yourself so that you can do that, I think is, um, that's the most important thing. And uh, I've got a few other soapbox things that I could say, but Allison's punching me in the arm saying that it's time to end, so... I'll go. <laughs> I'll go in, but thank you so much for your time and uh, thanks for um, chatting and thanks for everybody who, uh, mom, thanks for listening. <laughs> I think sometimes mom's li- listens, and um, <laughs> we'll talk to you next week on uh, on the uh, on the podcast if I remember. <laughs> thank you for listening to Chocolate Cake Bites. Please like, share, subscribe, and give us a five star rating and review. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas, and you can reach out to me at ken at chocolatecakebites.com. And before you end the day, take a few minutes to consider, who do you know who needs chocolate cake? <laughs>